Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 81 of the Corona Diaries. Uh, oh, that's a big smile, Mr. Steve Hogarth. Are, are you well? It's Lockjaw. Is it? <laughs> Lockjaw lock brought on by delirium. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm great. Yes, thanks, Ed. Oh, cool. Well, that's fantastic. I'm pleased you are. <laughs> Everything about me is positive, apart from my uh, lateral flow, which is negative. Well, that's exactly how is it. Well, we've both had those then, because I did a lateral flow on on Saturday, and mine was negative as well. Oh, good. Very nice. Nice when that line pops up. Say we both had lateral flow. Yes. um, Anyway, let's not bring her into it. Well, well, no, but on the subject of lateral flow... Hmm. Sally Sturman, so who who mentioned uh, Gloria Sweather <laughs> on the last episode, came back and thanked us for mentioning Gloria Sweather. Not a problem, Sally. Always a pleasure. Uh, and said that her late grandma used to live next to a lady called Rose Bush. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Which leads now, you to wonder, doesn't it? Well, you see, took, that took me back. That took me all the way back to Terry Wogan. And I used to listen to Terry of a morning. Did he dye his pubic hair? I, d- I don't know, did he? Or green? Bit of, bit of crazy colour. Right, okay. Well, one of, the things, one of the things that Tez always used to do, he had a thing for names. Right. And one of the things uh, he always, he, I always remember... Was was he always used to say he'd reference Anita Bush <laughs> and her cousin Tudor? Did he really? <laughs> he did, and that was that was BBC Radio Two, eight o'clock in the morning, yeah, week in week out, and we used to get Anita Bush and her cousin Tudor. Blimey! I know, and and Sally Sturman's grandma took me there. Do you remember Anita Harris? That always used to make me go, <laughs> as well. <laughs> this could take off a bit. I've got a sneaking suspicion there might be a lot of people writing in this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With alternatives of. Mm. So thanks, Sally. And I ended up then watching one of Terry watching one of Terry's... Do you remember he used to do these Janet and John readings? Yeah, rings a bell. Right, I watched one of them this morning, which was just hilarious. It's absolute filth. Is I it? think we've taken the mantle, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I, I went into Radio 2, was it? Yeah, years, some years back, with Lynetta, and we were sat in a little, sat on a little sofa waiting to go into the studio to do, um, do 
do the thing with Ken Bruce when I was... Uh, oh, Potmaster. Potmaster with Joe Brand. And and Terry Wogan came up the corridor carrying a chocolate fountain. You know, those <laughs> things. That... So right. I can't think of Terry without thinking of a chocolate fountain. And I went, shit, that's Terry Wogan. And we both went, oh, he's got a chocolate... I wonder why he's got a chocolate fountain. <laughs> Maybe someone had sent him it. And uh, and that was that. And he went into a side room, and then another door opened, and Will Smith came out. It was much, the Will Smith. The Will Smith. It was much taller than I was expecting. Hmm. So that's what happens when you go into into the babe. You know, you just never know. You're gonna who's gonna go by with what? And, and was it and was it doing its thing, or was it inert? This this fountain? No, it was. It wasn't actually. On and spewing chocolate right. forth because yeah, that would have been impressive to walk down to, the corridor. Yeah, they're tricky to carry. <laughs> no, yeah. it was in a box saying right. chocolate fountain. And <laughs> so, what's the deal there? Maybe and it was then, just a box. And then Steve Wright went by, and I think he'd just come in off the street, and he'd got like a little, he got like a little balaclava on, or was it a bobble hat or something? And he just looked like a really sad, lonely little man. <laughs> anyway, there we are. He probably speaks highly of me. Yes, he does. Well, I'm I'm now thinking with this reference to Tez, Hell, whatever. Mm. Maybe we maybe you and me should be on the radio. <laughs> maybe we should do a drive time show or something yeah. like that. Where's my bloody chocolate fountain? That's what exactly. I want to know. Exactly. Anyway, don't don't take that as an invitation. <laughs> Send me one, folks. <laughs> Won't be able to get you in the racket club for him one. Oh you know, you know what's happening now. <laughs> um, whilst we're on quickies at the beginning, Leanne Leanne Gibbons, uh, the bleep sound that I that we used on the podcast, it was an odd. I think it was in an odds and sodcast. I had to use a bleep sound, and it oh. scared the living daylights out of her. So oh. I will try and find a slightly less brusque yeah. bleep sound for she future. Could have fallen off her bike under a uh, truck well, yeah, or anything. We have to be yeah. careful. We do have to be careful. We could be sued. No sudden noises, boo, or anything like that. Um, John Nicholas, who I don't think's actually passed comment before, um, it was loving Tumble Down the Years as the Crooncast. Oh, that's nice. I'm, I'm glad that went down well because it's a beautiful little song um, and the kind of pathos of it doesn't really come across in the original version, which is so sort of... Jolly and jingly and jangly, and I thought it, it would benefit from a slightly more introspective approach. So, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad people got off on that. Well, you know what's coming next because he's asked if there's any chance of that at Oxford. Yeah, well, maybe. Now I've learned to play it. I now mean, you've learned to play it. What's quite handy about these crooncasts is they've sort of forced me into. Areas I wouldn't naturally go to. You know, I did the atmospheric song by Tom mm -hmm. Robinson and that worked mm -hmm. out quite well on the piano. And that's beautiful and that suits my voice. And So, yeah, I might, might be able to trot some of these out, future H naturals. Okay, well, I think that'll go down very well, particularly, mm. obviously, as Oxford's got the live stream. Yeah. So well, I'm going to be under a fair amount of pressure. No, not that I'm not under pressure in those situations. That's as close as I ever come to cracking up is H Natural shows. But um, I'll be under a lot of pressure not to roll out the same settlers, won't I? So mm. I'm going. You know, if we're live streaming that again, 
it, it is going to have to be, you know, a different bunch of numbers as far as pulse. Hmm? Um, so, but I'm trying not to think about that no, ca- no. in case I throw myself out the window. Well, I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd mention it because it mm. seemed like quite a good idea. John, I no. think John was kind of on the money there, actually. Yeah. No, it, it'll be... Um, it'll, um, I'll, I'll, it, it's, it's almost a promise. It'd be nice right. to do it because uh, it, did, it did feel good when I did it. Right. Um, he also mentioned something that a lot of other people have mentioned, which is the Croomcasts compiled as a little album. <laughs> I think I don't know that 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 might, it might be one of those romantic notions that's better better uh, in in contemplation than in actually listening mm. to. But uh, you know, um, let let me leave it with me. Perhaps when I've got a slightly deeper well to draw from, mm. I, I, could, I could take the good stuff out. I could go two ways on it, only because I love them as part of the episodes because i think they often there are they're often a nice release at the end of the episode or they're a nice finish of an episode or they they have a, a moment because of the what was gone before don't they well it probably reminds everybody that i'm a musician instead of some bumbling <laughs> raconteur <laughs> raconteur <laughs> more, oh. of a, more of a raconteur really than a raconteur Oh, I think that's where you should go next. I think that's that's yeah. Well, after dinner speeches. Yes. <laughs> who was the, who was the famous one? Ustinov. You you Ustinov esque. Yeah, yeah. He used to have a few good ones, didn't he? Mm. Mm. And he used to do a few voices. Yes. Yes. Now, yes. on the subject of a few good voices, there was a name. I told you that one, didn't I? About Edith Evans. That's no, a, it was a, that was a Michael Parkinson story. I think he was going to interview Dame Edith Evans, and he went to a house which she had a little cottage somewhere in Hampshire or somewhere, and he went there just to talk to her and sort of get her comfortable and do a bit of pre-chat before he interviewed her, which is very pro and very mm. considerate, I thought. And she let him in. And uh, she'd made him some tea and biscuits and done all the kind of thing that old dears do. And um, at some point he said, uh, would you mind if I used the loo? And she said, yes, just round the corner under the stairs. Uh, so he went, he went around, the, you know, around this cottage and under the stairs and there was a loo. And as he went to go into the loo, he noticed that on the wall, under the stairs in almost no light at all, was an original Rembrandt. Um, so anyway, he had a pee. <laughs> he had another look at this painting on his way out. <laughs> and uh, he got back, he said to her, that's not an original Rembrandt, is it, under the stairs by the toilet? She went, oh, yes, yes. Uh, he said, well, why have you hung it in the dark? Because you know what Rembrandt's are like. They're almost black in the first place. <laughs> yeah. They need a lot of light. And she said, oh, there was a nail. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's a true story. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, <laughs> there that's was a brilliant. nail. Oh, oh. And another slightly eccentric English, you know, female voice for you to add to your <laughs> canon. 
I should do research because that's probably not how she sounded at all. Well, everybody does it in the handbag style, don't they? Generic old handbag. What, like that, you mean? Yeah. Well, she was in that, wasn't she? That was that was what made her famous. One of the things that made her famous, wasn't it? She did. Was, was that her? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of her, and I know, I know she was absolutely delightful. But but not. You know, I'm out of movies. I've seen mm. about six yeah. in my yeah. life, and they're, and they're all apocalypse now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're sort of yes. Yeah. <laughs> on the on the subject of voices, and this brings us to one of the things I wanted to chat about. So obviously John Helmer last week was an absolute love, was 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 wonderful. Yeah, but, he's brilliant. But obviously we've not talked about his attempt at your voice. <laughs> did he do it? He did. Oh, I did it. He passed did. me by. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it, yeah I, it, it sounded nothing like you. Oh, yes, he did say something about, oh, it'll be all right, just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. When I was briefing him for the show... Right. Did he say that? Was that when he impersonated? I think we. I think it, we talked about it just before we went into record mode. It did. It didn't sound like me. No, I didn't. No. Think. No, it didn't sound anything like it, you at you all. Unless camped, I missed it. You should have camped it up a bit. You <laughs> should have camped it up a hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, but he was an absolute. He was an absolute joy. Um, and you were telling me after we'd finished uh, about the call you made to him. Um, when around sounds that can't be made, when obviously you discovered this lyric for for Paul, my love, which had, had all dropped in beautifully and worked out an absolute tree, and then that moment of panic when you kind of realise, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't actually mentioned it to John. Yeah, well, I, 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 out of courtesy, I felt I should mention it to him. But it, if, if I'm honest, that wasn't what I was panicking about. What I was panicking about was that he'd since recorded it and released it, uh, <laughs> which would have been, you know, well weird. Um, so I found him. I think I was in an airport or a bus station. I was in a public place on the phone. I think it was probably a, a check-in lounge for an airport. And uh, I managed to get hold of him. I said, hello, hello John, it's, uh, it's, it's H. He went, oh, hello. And um, I said, well, I've got a lyric of yours called Pour My Love. And he went, oh, have you? Marvellous. And he'd no idea what I was on about. He couldn't remember writing it or anything. And I said, would you mind if we used it? Because we've, you know, we've worked it up into a song for the new Marillion album. And he just went, well, I can't remember that one at all. I said, well, you you haven't ever recorded it. And he went, no, I shouldn't think so. So that was it, really. I just mm. um, phoned him up and asked him if I could use it. He couldn't remember writing it in the first place. And um, that was Poor My Love. It's a lovely, lovely lyric. Mm. Mm. What was really nice in that chat was um, that slightly different take about the end of the the end of his sort of working with you more formally. Because he, he, you know... He clearly always thought it was it, it was a time limited thing, and obviously from your reaction, it it wasn't something you'd thought about. So, I mean, it does open up the door to maybe doing something in the future? Yeah, I, I, it does open the door, and I will drop him a line and just say that that wasn't um, that wasn't me just saying that for the benefit of the listeners. That wasn't me being uh, tactful or anything. I I meant it. Hmm. So, if you've got anything. Do send it across because the thing about working with John, 
there never was any pressure from him at all to to use anything he sent. He would send it through and then he'd just sort of forget all about it. Uh, and if I went back to him with any kind of feedback, then he, he would he would think about it and get involved. But um, the, I was never under any pressure to use it. And I was never, as I said in the podcast, I was never under any pressure not to tear it to bits, mess with it, turn it upside down, turn it inside out. He just seemed, he always seemed very relaxed about how I would go about desecrating <laughs> his thoughts <laughs> uh which was very cool of him and made made my life a lot easier than it otherwise would have been you know because god knows i beat myself up about so much and having having him to beat myself up over as well would you know would have been another another straw to break the camel's back mm. and also let's be honest there's not a lot of tact on this podcast anyway, so, you know, tactful's neither you or me, is it, as a rule? <laughs> no, but he didn't know that. No, he didn't know that. <laughs> well, maybe he's, a, maybe he's a long-term listener. Well, he did say he'd heard it. Yeah. Yeah, and he has got a brain the size of a planet. Well, he has. He has. We were both in a little bit in awe and a bit, a bit you know... I was, I was nervous, actually. He, he's the... First of the people who've been had on, I was a little bit kind of, oh, hang on a minute. Mm. Well, yeah. he, he sort of has, a, he sort of has a certain gravity until you get wind of how playful that is. Mm. You know, he's got a playful gravity about mm. him, hasn't he? I, I, I oh think, yes, I think he does it for fun. Oh yes, he's very good at it, though. He's very good. You, it takes a while before you really realise that he is actually smiling <laughs> quite a lot behind behind his pop shield. Um, but, uh, yes, no, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, really great. The other thing I didn't realize, and I'm really embarrassed because I'd read a bit about the piranhas and they had this Uber hit and I didn't realize what this Uber hit was. Right. And I hit play on it the other day and thought, oh, bloody hell, it's that. Right. What because was it? Because I don't know either. <clears throat> well, it's the instrumental that they do at all the football matches. Da, 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 da. It's that one. Oh, really? That was them. We, that was them, mm -hmm. and that's that's mm -hmm. that was massive. And I'd forgotten there was vocals on it as well, yeah. which obviously there are when you get further on. But of course, it became a big football anthem through the sort yeah. of early two thousands. Oh, that was the Piranhas. No, no, that was them. Tom Hark, it's called. Oh. I don't think they wrote it, but they had a big hit with it. Had a massive, massive hit with it, and I didn't realise that was the one. Hmm. So, uh, so yes, there we are, there we are. Everybody, go out and listen to that. That is John Helmer. That is John Helmer. It's not quite as exciting as Chris Neal's backstory, but we'll get to that in a future episode. Um, <clears throat> on the subject of uh, of people listening, um, you've had you've had a bit of communication from um, one of the guys in Sildersbane, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah, Thomas um, Anderson. Um, he he sent me an email just to correct uh, my rambling reminiscences of peripheral vision, um, and I'm going to have to look all this up again. Have you got it? I've got it here, actually. Yes. 
lovely to hear you talk about the album. Uh, I still enjoy the album a lot, especially Peripheral Vision, but also The Love and the Affair and Incandescent. Um, didn't know it was a stream of consciousness thing on your part. That's how he starts the email. Mm. Uh, just to jog your memory, uh, now you'll have to help me with the pronunciation. Is Anila or Anella? Anneli, I think. An- oh, Anneli. Anneli, yeah. Mm. Was the sister of the former guitarist, Mats, who unfortunately died in 2015, uh, the day before uh, their expo. Mm. Um, but the rest was correct. She connected to your lyrics because, um, because, and then she's put, because had seen her deceased child in her peripheral vision. Still, So anyway, mm. it was just that bit about the fact that they lost their guitarist, unfortunately, uh, back in 2015, Mats. I think it reminded her of something that actually happened to her. So that was a little bit spooky. Um, but I, there's a lot of spookiness in my life, you know, things that mm. I've, I've kind of... Did I tell you last week about about the... Maybe I didn't. About the um, premonition of the of COVID from twenty eighteen. No. Well, in in the, in the, there's a lyric on the new album. Um, don't want a fever, don't want a cough, as the planet simply shrugs us off, which is about COVID. Um, and Mike found a a jam where I'm singing that lyric. And it was from 2018. So that was very spooky. I'm saying it can't have been. He said it was. I've got it here. Because it's it, every, everything we do that's recorded in the jams is catalogued yeah. and dated. And, of course, the files date themselves anyway. So that was a bit spooky that, that I was already talking about this <laughs> three Ooh. years ago. <laughs> Um, Ooh, don't let the CIA know. It's the CIA <laughs> who's trying to find out the origins of it. Don't mm, let them it know. It wasn't me, honest. But that was a bit weird. So I, I, there's a lot of spookiness, mm. you know, that uh, that's happened over the years. Things have sort of written about and written songs about that have, have kind of then then resonated on future events in more than just a passing way. Mm. And I'm assuming that you didn't know Matt's then, um, because the music was coming over from the band, wasn't it? If we go back to that story with the Silver Spain, so you did you you probably didn't know him, did you? Uh, no, there's two Matts. The Matts, ah. the keyboard player, um, who writes all the music. He's the sort of musical arranging, composing genius behind the Silver Spain. Um, but Matt's the guitar player who lo- who who lost his life. I, I never met because right. he'd he'd passed before he passed away before I even met them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that uh, I met Annalie when when I went over there and we performed uh, "Colors Not Found in Nature" together. And I met her for the first time. And they said, "Oh, this is this is the girl that did the." backing vocal on mm. peripheral vision and I said oh hello pleased to meet you and it was only at that point that I, I met her and was told you know that I think she told me herself that 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 lyric really knocked her for six when she heard it mm. um, because she'd had that experience she'd lost a child and she'd seen that child in her peripheral vision one day 
And then when she saw that lyric, it really shook her up. But at the same time, she really wanted to sing on it. And she contacted the band and said, you know, can I, can I put a vocal on this? It would mean a lot to me. So she, she, she did the BV. Um, we're doing a bit of, you've probably worked out, but this is a bit of a kind of a wrap up episode in terms of pulling a few things out of recent weeks just to follow up on, because we've, for whatever reason, it's not worked out. We've been able to do that quite in the way we normally do. But the final one of these that's been nagging away, been gnawing away, we recorded an episode about radiation that we ended up, for whatever reason, we ended up not using some of it. We had to go back and re-record that week. I can't remember, um, exactly why. But as part of that original one, you told me a story about part of the lyric to Three Minute Boy and the fact that it was linked to you watching telly on a Saturday with your grandma. Right. Which you wouldn't get to. I don't think there's any way you'd get to that link just from reading what's on the page. Would you not? It's so hard for me to remember what I have and haven't said. But, um, yeah, Saturdays when I was growing up, we always had salad for a kickoff on Saturdays. Saturdays was salad, which meant a certain with amount, egg. A certain this is a amount, big thing. Yeah, quite Sa- probably. South Yorkshire salad used Boil- to have egg in it, in hard boiled yeah, egg. Hard boiled egg. Um, amount an amount of lettuce, an amount of tomato, sometimes beetroot actually, uh, but crucially, um, salad cream. You know, it mm. was it was pre mayonnaise. Mm. Uh, there was a thing called salad cream. I think you still get it. I think yeah, Heinz still, still do salad cream. And it's like a kind of, it's like mayo. If mayonnaise just tasted of vinegar, it would be salad cream. Because <laughs> salad cream just tasted of vinegar. <laughs> and uh, we always had this thing in Marillion that if you were council house, you had salad cream. And if you were posh, you had mayonnaise. Uh, that's, a, that's, a fair, that's a fair estimation of the 80s, that. Yeah. So salad and salad cream and also Saturday afternoons were the horse racing, the racing. My my gran loved the racing. And so I think my mum used to go out shopping. My dad was often working. So my gran was often round for Saturdays to look after the kids. And she would watch the horses uh, in the afternoon and then she would watch the wrestling. And she, she loved the wrestling and she used to get very worked up and leap out of her chair and scream at the TV screen and all of that. And, you know, because the, when the, uh, when the baddie had, had got the goodie down on the, down on the canvas, you know, and he's twisting his arm and all of that, she'd be shouting and screaming. And when the goodie got hold of the baddie again, she'd be shouting, uh, rip his arm off and hit him with a soggy end. That was what she used to shout. And she meant it. And I used to sit there looking at her thinking, bloody hell. It's far out, isn't it? Um, so I just remember that, you know, and, and the Beatles being on jukebox jewelry and stuff like that. So so the line when he was young staring at the TV, he watched the fun happening to other people, was was really hatched from from that memory, watching the wrestling with my gran. And it's a it was a very British thing, wasn't it? It's not it's not if you're thinking of WWF. No, it's not that. Then stop it? thinking of that. No, it was, first of all, the, the wrestlers never looked particularly fit, did they? No. They just looked like ordinary blokes in trunks uh, <laughs> who'd just put a pint down before they'd got in the ring. Um, 
or they'd be like enormous. There was a guy called Giant Haystacks, wasn't there? He was about, oh, yes. He was about 25 stone wet through, wasn't he? Um, and Mick McManus, who had the leather shorts and the cauliflower ears. I don't know where he got cauliflower. Maybe you get cauliflower ears wrestling after a while. <laughs> Somebody rubs your ear <laughs> against the ground a bit too often. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it was like pantomime in trunks, wasn't it? The oh, yeah. But it my, was a, my yeah. gran believed it. She thought it was all real. She'd get awfully worked up. I'm trying to remember the name of the presenter. Um, Blimey. I know, I know. And it was something like Kent Walton or something like that. Um, but he was he was just, yeah, it was it was such a thing. Because I'm 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 with you. And they, they used to go, they'd do the venues, wouldn't they? If you went to Bridlington, they'd be on at the spa. There was a guy called Jackie Palo as well. Uh, and he had really dreadful hair that was really thin and wispy and he had a disastrous hair and my mother had hair like that and we used to call her Jackie Palo after (laughs) um, (laughs) he's worth googling have a look at him (laughs) I've just before she'd been to the hairdressers you know and had the shampoo and set when when it once when she'd let it go a bit we used to say looking a bit Jackie Palo mob today I think it's time to make an appointment I've just, I've just found there's a there's a there's a page on IMDb and it was Kent Walton. Oh, well he did done. he did he did ten years yeah, as the commentator and of course it was in it was within world of sports so it meant you got Dickie Davis as well. Yeah, and Dickie Davis was a classic. And then yeah. you got Giant Haystacks and you got Big Daddy. Yeah, Big Daddy. Yeah, and then this whole list of other characters, including the guy who went on to be an Alfie same pet. That was Roach a was a Charlie. Was it Charlie Tumahai who used to come on in an Indian chief's headdress with all the feathers and dance and do pretend to be a and well an Indian they were back then yeah but pretend to be a Native American and he'd do a bit of jumping about and he'd come on yeah. with a little tomahawk and then put that down. I remember him. <coughs> so Where the hell has that come from? I couldn't have told you that at the point <laughs> no. of a gun an hour ago. And and it, yeah, so it's everything probably that eighties television was, but probably shouldn't have been. Um, and I'm sure we'd be scared if we saw any of that imagery now. Yeah. But 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 it was the point that that was the bit in the lyric you were talking about that was just such a huge. When you said it, I was like, "Good grief!" But it's brilliant. Well, it's just about the ascent, I guess, from really mon- a really mundane life. Uh, uh, and then becoming that thing that you thought was so exciting mm. when you had the mundane life and then mm. looking back thinking, oh, I've, I've kind of become that thing. Um, wow, you know, aren't I lucky? Yeah. You could have been a wrestler. <laughs> With a body like this? Yes, I could have. Yes, yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Episode title there. He could have, he could have been a wrestler. I'm going with that. I'm, I think we should stick with that. Right, uh, one final thing before we go to the diary reading, and it's a great diary reading this week. It's kind of like a, its own little story in of itself uh, this week. Um, we Just so everybody's aware, we are as prepared as we can be to keep TCD rolling while you're on tour, aren't we? 
We are. I'm go- I'm, we're going to do it from the. I'm going to do it from the road. From the road. Mm. Um, and we've already. We've there's even. Uh, we've even got appointments in the diary, haven't we? We've actually, it's actually in the diary. We have, and Chris Neal is going to join us for one of those as well, if we can get the tech together, which I think we probably can. I mean, yeah. he he knows how to record stuff, so he should be all right. Well, well, uh, having seen the rest of his. The rest of his life story, I'm not so sure now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I really, in fact, if you are looking forward to the Chris Neal episode, don't Google him. Let it wash over you in the episode because trust me, it's epic. He might. So don't ref- Google him. He might refuse to comment. Uh, let's hope he. Let's hope he runs oh, I, with it. I don't think somebody with his with his backstory is going to refuse to comment. Do you? <laughs> No, no, maybe not. It's all anyway, out so there. <laughs> it's all out there, but don't look. Wait, wait, and let us bring it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're all we're all good. We're all sorted. So if everything goes to plan, you, it should be seamless. You shouldn't notice that H is actually locked in a room on his own. Yes, there might be a slight change in the vocal sound, but apart from that, it'll be it'll be, be as normal. It'll be yes, be crisp. Chris Are you taking your rug with you to, to nail to the wall just to... <laughs> no. You could, couldn't you? I'd, li- I'd forget it. I'd leave it on a bus. And then, right, yeah. And, you know, but then I'd have to drive to Portsmouth. That's what you have to do when you leave things on the bus. And God knows I have. You right. have to drive to Portsmouth to get them back. Um, because uh, although these buses drive all over the world all the time, they'll never drop anything off for you. Um you have to go to the depot in right. Portsmouth to get the shit that you never quite remembered, which you left okay. under your pillow or wherever, okay. which I, God knows I have. Right. Well, we'll go to a bit of diary, but just before we do, for the purposes of those who obviously can't see, you've been transfixed with a Barry this morning, haven't you? Oh, yeah, I have, and I've just pulled, his, I've just pulled the thing out of his little, little anorak hood and, his anorak. and I can't get it back in. But uh, that's a job for another day. Yes. Where's that come from then? Have you had that year? Have you had that long time? <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> yeah. It? Yeah. It's just it's just part of the detritus of stuff that's all it's over brilliant. all over this room. I mean, there's <laughs> there's so much stuff here. Stuff like Good grief. Just there's just stuff. This is a letter opener. Right, yeah. Shaped like the bullet train oh, in Japan, yeah. and it is actually a, a souvenir of the, of the bullet train. Oh, the bullet train says no, says Nozomi oh. Memorial Edition on it. So my That's... my room's full of stuff like. <laughs> you see, Emil's Emil's not old enough yet, but I've I've started having conversations with both my parents about just sorting all this kind of shit that they've got in their houses out because I don't want to be left having to clear it out when you've gone. This is Superman made out of a drinking straw. Now that's brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant. So you see, this is what I, I've got strange things in my room. Right. To be honest. There's a whole, do you know what? There's a whole money making scheme for you in raffles, you know. Bloody hell, that's an old iPhone. What's that, a three? I don't know. That's one of the original, original iPhones. One of the that's first ones. Very that old. Came out. The, the, 
That's that's yeah. that is a that's an old iPhone. That one still charge that up and boot it up. It's quite cool, isn't it? Yeah. I reckon you, you ought to start raffling some of this stuff off. <laughs> I reckon you'd make a fortune. Yeah, I know. But I, I could certainly make a lot of money in a you know in an auction. We've still got um, about four hundred and fifty raffle tickets left from when we did the when we did the sofa thing. The couch convention. They're all folded up and everything. Ah, yes, you see. Yes. There's a, there's a, there's a day glow Jesus. Right, day glow Jesus, right. Well, that's your Instagram feed for the week, that, what you've just shown me there. Oh, my God. Oh, my giddy aunt. <laughs> Still works. Didn't re- I didn't realise it did that. Yeah. <laughs> Proper item. That's a phrase out of context that you worry about. <laughs> this isn't going to make for good good radio, is it? <laughs> no, it I'll, isn't. I'll You're going to have to put some pictures on of, just to supply the imagery to this conversation. Yeah. Oh, what have I got here? It's another thing. Now, this is a, a mirror, a fold-out mirror. Oh, it's sort of come off. It needs gluing. Fold-out fold out oh, yeah. sort of yeah. makeup mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Made out of wood. Yeah. From Hawaii. Uh-huh. I think I bought that in Hawaii. Right. Okay. So there we are. Yes. It's like if if Cash in the Attic did a podcast, this this is what this is be what it'd sound like. <laughs> and, and here's a genuine Wellington boot shaped mug uh from the uh Christmas market in Bonn. Uh, excellent. Etc. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go because, to be honest, my interest is waning now. a little bit. <laughs> so let's 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 get on, let's get onto the diary reading. Saturday, the sixteenth of August. You on a special little trip? Yes, yeah, that was quite. That was it. The sixteenth of August. Yeah. Yes, that was a trip to Gustard. With, uh, I mean, blimey, I'm going to drop some names during during this next. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yes, it was. Uh, it was with the SAS band, which is yes. Spike's All Stars. Spike Edney was the piano player with Queen mm. for his sins, and he also played with Peter Green from you know the original Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac guitarist who sort of lost his mind for a decade and then started touring again. Uh, I th- he might have passed away actually. Late I then. think he has. Was he? I think he has. Uh, but we did, well, I did a couple of shows with him. Um, so, yes. And then I ran into Spike and then he phoned me up and he said, oh, I've got this band with all these stars in it and do you want to come and sing? I went, yeah. What's the money like? <laughs> he said, dreadful. Is the drink free? Yes. Oh, all right then. Yes. So here it comes, a bit of uh, of a reminiscence. I think I was on... I start off on an aeroplane, don't I? I think I'm on a 747 going to America. Sunday, 16th of August. The sky to Laguna, California. And... Reminiscences of Gestad, Switzerland. As I write, 
I'm sitting in my seat next to Sophie on a 747 bound for Los Angeles. We're three hours into the journey from Heathrow, so I'm going to review the last couple of days. At 5am on Saturday morning, I left home for a show with the SAS band in Gustard, Switzerland. We were to fly from London City Airport at 9.20. Unfortunately, the return journey was to be to Heathrow, as all Heathrow to Zurich outbound flights were full. This presented a logic puzzle. After much deliberation and enquiry, I decided that the best plan was to drive to Heathrow, park in the long-term car park, catch the bus to a terminal, take the tube into London, change at Hoban to Stratford, then catch a number 423 bus to London City Airport. It was a laborious plan, but in the event, although it took three and a quarter hours, it worked out as a straightforward journey. I arrived at 8.20 and gave my passport to Streaky, the tour manager who had gained his name either from bacon or running naked into sports events, both equally likely, who was checking everyone in. The SAS band is a big band. Rhythm section, keyboards, two guitars, sax, trumpet and seven singers. It's the brainchild of keyboard player and MD Spike Edney, and consists of a session band of accomplished players, along with an array of star singers. I must have made it. I'm in the company of Tony Hadley of Spandau Ballet, Paul Young of Mike and the Mechanics, and two of my heroes, the incomparable Roy Wood, the Move ELO wizard, and the extraordinary Roger Chapman, singer from Family. We also have two girls, Susie and Zoe, who do an ABBA tribute, complete with costumes and choreography. I've already done three shows with this lot, and they're a lot of fun. Each singer does three songs with the band, then we do a couple all together at the end. I got into it after meeting Spike, who was Queen's live keyboardist, along with Freddie, obviously, while he was playing for Fleetwood Mac's legendary Peter Green at a festival in Madrid. He called me the following week and asked if I fancied doing it. To share a stage and to get to know Roy and Roger was more than enough inducement. I wasn't disappointed. Everyone in the outfit is affable, although the singers are particularly eccentric in their own little way. Roy's completely gorgeous and goes out of his way to be pleasant to me. Roger's a little more choosy who he gives his time to, but he's been more than gracious. He has the loudest and most distinctive voice in rock, or perhaps anywhere, yet when he talks, he's soft-spoken. I also suspect he's a little deaf. Tony Hadley is pleasant, yet somehow constantly distracted. I'll never forget him holding the door open for me in the cafe at rehearsal studio Nomis many years ago when I was rehearsing there with the Europeans. At that time, Spandau Ballet were major pop stars and enjoying a string of high-charting hit singles and albums. Big Tone, as he's affectionately known, was everywhere, on radio and TV, and yet he held a door open in a cafe for unknown little old me as I tried to negotiate the doorway with a tray of sandwiches and coffee. He doesn't remember it, of course, but I do. It's funny that most people in the entourage tend to talk but not listen. 
Either that or I'm on a different wavelength and they don't follow what I'm saying. Roy's the exception. He's quick to enjoy whatever company he's in. Paul Young's a total scream, uninhibited, drunk after breakfast and a born comedian. It's down to him to provide the vibe amongst the unit and he does it effortlessly. We sat around in the cafe at the airport until our flight was called at 9.20. The plane was small and cramped, but I managed to find a spare seat in front of Tony. It was one of those short take-off things and accelerated into the air like a Ferrari. Unlike our current 747 to LA, which ambled down the runway seemingly at 55 miles an hour and then magically rose into the air defying gravity like a carpet. I love jumbo jets. All the way to Zurich I could hear Spike's distinctive guffaw at the back of the plane. He really enjoys himself on these outings. At Zurich Airport we boarded a stuffy coach for the long journey to Stad. I tried to sleep during the coach ride, still tired from my 4.30 wake-up, but to no avail really. Some of the views of the Swiss countryside were truly awe-inspiring as we drove through the mountains which are heavily wooded with pines, snowy mountain tops above the tree line and rich green pastures below. At last we arrived at the Gulf Hotel des Hautes, Gestad, one of many cuckoo clock buildings dotted amongst the hillsides, and I checked into room 35, calling home to say hi to Sue who couldn't believe I'd only just arrived. The band went straight to soundcheck while the singers were told to be ready at five. I hung around in my room, taking in the view from the balcony, still unable to sleep. At five we made the short journey down to the airstrip where the festival was to be held. This is the airstrip that Burton, Taylor and recently Gestard's most famous face, Roger Moore, drop their Learjets and helicopters en route to their luxury homes in the town. The view from the stage was across a flat valley floor of green, rising up to vertical slopes of pines and the snow-peaked rock faces high above. Not quite Shepherd's Bush Empire, quipped Keith Airy, our guitarist. Soundcheck was okay. For once I had brought a camera with me, so I was snapping away. Roy had the already traditional problems with his guitar amplifier humming, so I tried to capture the concerned head-scratching on film. He ran through See My Baby Jive, which was a new addition. Great. I was hoping Roger would repeat his performance of Burlesque. He did it a fortnight ago at our gig in England. Magic. But apparently the song isn't so well known here in Europe. Shame. After soundcheck, we hung around while they fed us big sausages and fries. I declined and drank coffee instead, and then we went for a walk around the festival site. This is a biker festival, so there were quite a few stalls selling Harley accessories, t-shirts, leathers, etc. I nearly bought a belt with a knucklehead engine logo on the buckle, but I rarely wear belts, so there's no point really. We returned to the hotel and hung around in the bar for quite a few hours, listening to the piano player and watching Paul getting funnier and funnier with each successive beer. I managed to fit in half an hour's sleep before showtime when I noticed it had started to rain. What a shame. Unfortunately, the show was sparsely attended, 
but the band played with great spirit, and this was my favourite of the SAS shows so far. I sang Abraham, Martin and John better than I've sung it to date, so I was in celebratory mood for the rest of the evening. After the show, we were fed backstage, before returning to the hotel where we took over the bar, taking turns at the piano for a sing-song. I got to bed around 5.30 and slept till 9.45 when I was roused by the phone. Went downstairs and had coffee with Spike, Kyle, his wife, and Keith before boarding the bus back to the airport. On the journey back to Zurich, I chatted with Paul Young, who appeared remarkably unscathed this morning and quite lucid. Amazing. We arrived at the airport and I wandered off to do some shopping. Zurich Airport Duty Free isn't up to much though, so I didn't buy anything. I just wandered around aimlessly, checking out the army knives and Toblerones. Popped to the Bureau de Chance to change my money into US dollars for next week's trip to California and made my way to the gate where I ran into Laurie Wiseman, guitarist, and Andy, trumpet player. I carried Laurie's pedal board onto the plane and sat next to Andy during the flight. We didn't chat much though. We were both a little jaded from last night. At Heathrow, I said bye-bye to the musicians and to Zoe, Susie, Roger, Paul and Roy who gave me a hug. Hugged by Roy Wood. Fucking fantastic. What a sweetheart. I think we'll do some more shows together in December when I return from the Marillion tour. A Christmas gig with this lot would be a blast. I caught the bus back to the long-term car park and made the long drive home where everyone was busy packing. Sue seemed somewhat exasperated by all of it after a weekend with two overexcited children. Sophie and Niall are vibrating with excitement at the prospect of a holiday in California and time with their twin cousins. We're going to spend a week with Sue's sister's family who recently emigrated from South Africa to Bakersfield, three hours north of LA. Next week we'll drive down to Laguna in Orange County for a couple of days by the sea before the Marillion gig in San Juan Capistrano, which is only down the road. Well, the flight to LA was unremarkable. The children were so well behaved that by the end of the flight, complete strangers were actually approaching us and commenting on it. They make Sue and I very proud, bless them. The in-flight movie was Volcano. Some nonsense about, you guessed it, a volcano which erupts between the tar pits just outside LA. That bit's real. They dug up mammoths and all manner of prehistoric creatures which were preserved by the tar. I went to the museum there with Jack the first time we played LA with the Murillos. When we landed at Los Angeles, I began wondering if it was a movie after all or the lunchtime news bulletin. LA airport was in a state of chaos. The queue for immigration was 300 yards long and it took us one and a half hours to clear passport control. But no, a volcano hadn't erupted. Apparently, quote, it's always like this on Mondays in August. Welcome to America. Footnote. Paul's partying was sadly to catch up with him. He died from heart failure on the 15th of July 2000. I wouldn't be surprised if he died laughing. And I hope so.
and we're back. And that, and I read that. I read the piece this morning, and I thought it was brilliant. And it's a really entertaining reading. Um, but it got me on because I made the mistake until I saw it at the end. Because I was thought when you were talking about Paul Young, you were talking about Paul Young, but you weren't talking about Paul Young. You were talking about Paul Young. Yes, Paul Young, who was originally in Sad Cafe, and then became. Uh, one of the two singers in uh, Mike and the Mechanics. Mechanics. Uh, there's since been more singers in Mike and the Mechanics. I think Andrew Rochford is singing with them now, and he's brilliant. Um, but back back then, it was either Paul Young, not Paul Young, wherever I lay my hat, Paul Young, but Paul Young. He did Silent Running. Yeah, because it was either him or it was Paul Carrick, who was yes. also an amazing singer. Yes. So a lot of good singers, but Paul Young was an absolute scream. Um, I think he was an alcoholic. He, you know, he got a bottle out very early in the day, <laughs> but he was very good value to be around. He was, um, he had lots of jokes. And he got a good vibe going, and um, yeah, we were all on a plane together, and me, him, and Roy Wood, and. Um, Tony Hadley and Roger Chapman and I think Cheryl Baker might even have been on on there because the bass player in Spike's band was married to Cheryl Baker. Oh, okay. So she might have even been on the plane. I've got a feeling she might have come along to start. Um, so it was quite a do. It was quite a, an interesting day. But nobody mm. came to the gig. I think it was about 12 people at the gig. It was a biker festival. And someone had, you know, decided to book book Spike's all-star band. And I can't remember what. I used to sing Abraham, Martin and John. You did? And uh, cover my eyes, I think. Mm. Um, so that was, that, was, that was it, really. I first... Found out what a re- really good singer Tony Hadley is because I I mm. never really had him down as a great singer, but he is a great singer. Mm. They were a good band actually. In Spain, yeah, yeah. There was some 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 good material came out of them, and they were good. They were good. Um, in the same way, I think Duran Duran were a good band. If I'm being honest, um, yeah, they 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 were kind of derided for being such straight ahead pop groups, weren't they? I mean, mm. by us serious musicians. <laughs> By serious, I mean people who didn't sell that many records. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's people who were people who were starving. <laughs> yeah. No, they were they 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 were all better bands than they were given credit for. Really, I think mm. Frankie goes to Hollywood as well. They were they they could play. It's just mm. that Trevor wouldn't let them. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only one that probably couldn't play, or, or of the group that couldn't play, Adam and the Ants couldn't play. They were all shocking. Were they? Yeah. You know they, that they, for a fact. I know that for a fact. They were all absolutely. They were all absolutely shocking. Yeah, but well, you um, know who drummed for Adam and the Ants, don't you? Uh, that was Chris Hughes, who produced songs from the Big Chair and sowing the seeds of love. Really? Yeah. So not oh. without talent. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was the, the, the. I mean, I don't know it for a fact. In terms, I've read a lot to suggest that they weren't. They weren't that band. The core of that band wasn't very good. They looked good, 
Yeah. Uh, the look was right. I mean, they nailed well, it in terms of what it needed to be for the time. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was all absolutely about Adam, nailed it. it. was all about oh. him. I mean, it was a bit like Coldplay, you know. No one even knew what the other lot looked like. You know, it was just this. It was, I mean, that's a bad comparison. <laughs> I think you gotta, you, you've got to, you've uh, got to, yeah, you can't compare Adam with Chris Martin really as, as you know, front men. Well, I mean, Adam was incredible. You see, I don't know whether you can or you can't. I'm, I'm thinking this might be the first time it's been done. Yeah. Chris is an amazing singer. Love his vo- vocal tone. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant singer. Um, maybe better than Adam, but Adam's a better frontman by a country mile. So, oh. you know, different people are good at different things. Yeah. Um, oh, if you're in a small club with beer on the floor and you know shit up the walls, you don't you don't want you don't want you want Adam coming on, don't you? I did hear that the. Uh, on uh, Ant Music, wasn't drums. It was drum flight cases because I knew, I knew a guy at the. Well, ta- that would make sense because he's a really studios, and uh, they yeah. said they did it all on the flight cases. Adam preferred the sound to the actual it, drums. That would make sense because it's a really dull sound, isn't it? Yeah. Not actually flight cases, the uh, the drum cases, you know, the drum cases, yeah, like almost the plasticky type ones. Yeah, I think I mm. think that was what went on the record. Mm. Still not as good a story as Louis Jardim doing the hi hat on Slave to the Rhythm. No, that's no, that's a classic story. That's a classic. Right, we'll leave you there for this week, folks. That's that's eighty one. Um, and just to remind it, yes, we're all good for, for the coming week, so everything as it stands at the moment should be fine. As it leans at the moment. As it leans at the moment, <laughs> should be fine. Um, but uh, but other than that, I, I can take this opportunity, as the last one before the tour, to, to wish you well. Thank you very much, Anthony. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to it. Well, don't then. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll see you in London. Right, that's yeah. the plan. That's the plan. Hamio, yeah, Hamio, yeah. cracking. Right, you take care. Thank you for listening, everyone. Toodly pip. You carry my picture. You wear me round your neck. Sometimes like a treasure. Sometimes like a cross. To keep those vampire memories at bay You grin and you bear it
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.